As we turn now to chapter 9 here in the book of Romans, as we continue our journey through this entire book, uh, we'll take the first five verses tonight in Romans chapter 9. And the next several chapters, chapters 9, 10, and 11, all have to do with the nation Israel. And I want to kind of put us all on the same page tonight. Because I think there is a lot of misinformation floating around the world of Christendom about God's plans for the nation Israel. There are those that tonight believe, and I believe errantly so, that God is done with national Israel. He has no plan for them in the future. They rejected Messiah when he came first, and so consequently they believe that God has, in essence, passed him over and thereby also reneged on his covenants that he made to them that he declared were irrevocable. And so there's a biblical problem with that, and we'll dig into it tonight. That is known as replacement theology. It's also known as supersessionism. So those that believe in it are supersessionists. In other words, that the church has replaced Israel. If that's true, then God's word has an awful lot of errors in it. And so tonight we'll begin our study here on unbelieving Israel. It is also important to recognize that, in fact, Israel did miss Messiah when he came the first time, and they did reject him. And so we have to be careful not to swing all the way to the other side to just excuse away those things which national Israel has done. We also must keep in view that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance, including every last person who believes in Islam or Hinduism or Buddhism, or animism, or any other ism that you can think of right now. God is not willing that any should perish. And Jesus came so that we might have life. And so while we point out Israel's place, we also have to keep in view that God loves every last Palestinian and every last... Arab member of every terrorist group. God has love for all of mankind. And we must not isolate people out and say, well, except for them. While it's true, individuals do reject the gospel and they do reject Christ, God has not created a single soul for the purpose of them being damned but his purpose is that they would come to faith. And so we have to leave the door of faith open for all of mankind. And so tonight, the first five verses here in Romans 9, and would you join me and let's pray. Father, we are grateful tonight that you in your mighty sovereign plan still have a plan for national Israel. And you have made it very clear what that plan ultimately will be. And we pray that we'd know that and see it. And as we look tonight at at the problem of unbelief in the Jewish people, 
We pray for the peace of Jerusalem. We ask that you would save the lost throughout that region, Lord. Uh, we, we pray for those who right now call themselves Palestinians, for those who call themselves displaced Arabs, for those who call themselves Jew and Gentile alike in that land. God, we ask that you would bring salvation to all who would seek you. And so, God, we bless you. pray that you would use your word now to instruct us. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So along with that errant view of replacement theology, there, there has been in the news something that probably many of you have heard about, and it's usually defined by the acronym BDS. It stands for Boycott, Divest, and Sanction. And it is a program whereby, unfortunately, many denominations, specifically here in the United States, have said, we're pulling all of our support. Now, they may have mutual funds for retirement purposes. They may have directly invested, but they're actually pulling away investments uh, from national Israel, from Israel proper, from the state of Israel, because of the perceived injustices to the Palestinian people. And while that is a political issue, it has spiritual implications because the people who are getting hurt, and this is, we just heard this while we were in Israel just a little over a month ago. The people that are being hurt by that are not the Israelis. It's actually the Palestinians who work in those factories that are losing their jobs. And so I I want to say publicly to my brothers and sisters in the Lord who have chosen to take that route, you're not helping things. You're not making it better for the Palestinian people by withholding monies from Israel to invest in corporations. Some of those corporations you might know of, Intel, Microsoft, SodaStream, if you happen to own one of those, are made in Israel. Those plants that used to be in the West Bank are now being moved uh, to within the confines of what is now national, the boundaries of, of Israel proper. And so those things are all based on a, on a perceived injustice, and unfortunately they have a religious tie, and it's been going on for a very long time. We're going to look at that tonight. We as God's people above all people on the face of the earth, should understand what God said to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. And he said very clearly in the first three verses of that chapter as he lays out the Abrahamic covenant that he's going to make his name great, that he is going to bless the entire earth through the seed of Abraham, and that I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who curse you. So any nation that sets itself against Israel is setting itself at odds with God. And so we want to be the friend of Israel. And I believe we must be the friend of Israel, both as individual believers and as a nation. And so make no mistake about where God stands in that particular uh, thought process. Very often we, we, send, we tend to kind of look at the, the scriptures through a very specific theologic lens. And I kind of want to put that away tonight. And while we have one here, we are vehemently opposed to replacement theology as Calvary Chapel. Uh, 
stand in direct opposition to it. Let me make that really, really, really clear. It is also true that we need to be careful that we still love everyone, all people, even those with whom we disagree. Amen? So the gospel isn't a Calvary Chapel gospel. It's not a Baptist gospel. It's not an Episcopalian gospel. It's not a Lutheran gospel. It's not a Methodist gospel. It's not a United Church of Christ gospel. There is one gospel, and that one gospel saves, and it's the only one that saves. Amen? Amen. So as we study these things, don't read anything into what I'm saying. I'm simply trying to teach the truth so that we can walk in it. Amen? Amen? There are three main questions that ultimately come up. And when we're talking about the role of Israel that is still left to be played in our world. And there are these. The gospel was offered freely to all Gentiles. Did God just give up on the covenants with Israel? That's one question that comes up. Many people believe that the answer to that question is yes. And yet I believe that scripture very clearly says to us that that is absolutely not the case. If salvation is from the Jews and, first of all, to the Jews, and they had the largest base of knowledge of any people on the face of the earth, then why did they reject Messiah in the first place? And we're going to dig into that as we get into the next part of this next week because there's actually some very clear reasons. And thirdly, if individual Jews have to be saved by faith and have always had to be saved by faith, by the way. There's never been another way for anyone to be saved except by faith. If you want to see that in an abbreviated form, all you need to do is read Hebrews chapter 11. It's the hall of faith of Jewish people who believed. Not Jewish people who kept the law, not Jewish people who went to synagogue, Not Jewish people who went to the temple, but Jewish people who believed by faith. So it's never been about the law. And so Paul begins to lay out these things in this chapter tonight. And he looks at these three main questions and really kind of gives us a a sense, uh, if you will, uh, of how we might attack these things. And, And as you look at them, look. Why, why, are, why is it that the Jewish people still are largely in un, unbelief? They've been uniquely chosen. They're a blessed nation. But w- when you really look what Scripture says, their problem is our problem. Hey, couldn't you say the same thing about being a citizen of the United States of America? How many churches are in this country? There are hundreds of thousands of Christian churches in the United States of America, and yet not everyone's saved. Amen? You can turn, we have whole television networks dedicated, in essence, to Christian teaching. Some of it agreed it's aberrant. Some of it isn't correct. But it nonetheless presents, generally speaking, the gospel. And yet people don't believe. You see, The answer to these questions is quite simple. Human nature hasn't changed. And people still hear the truth and still refuse to believe the truth and they still want it their way and it was no different for the Jewish people than it is for us. 
So before being too harsh based on the knowledge, there are very few people that live in the United States of America who should not have heard the gospel and been able to respond to it. So as you think on these things, think on them from the standpoint of faith, God's grace working in our world. You might even ask yourself, if Abraham was the father of those who are truly saved by faith, how can his descendants so uh, almost universally reject the actual gospel of Jesus Christ? That's because they object to faith. They object to believing. And I can point you out to why most people still do the same thing. It's called church. People often substitute real faith and real belief for nothing more than religious activity. We still do it today. We do it in a Christian context, and we also do it in a Jewish or a Judaic context. It's done in virtually every religious context in the world. People would rather go to church and perform their obligation and do their duty and participate in a ritual than actually get right with God. Actually believe in Him. That's why religion is so popular. That's why a lot of people miss the relational aspect of being a believer. Because what they're actually looking for is something that they can do that makes them right with God. And here's how many things you can do to be right with God. Zero. None. Because even faith can become a work. If you think that you have to go possess something in order to believe. Faith, Scripture says, is a gift. It's given to us so that we can believe. And so praise the Lord that these questions are universal questions. They're not just Jewish questions. First, we see Paul's view or Paul's take on on unbelieving Israel. Notice verse 1. I tell the truth in Christ here in chapter 9 of the book of Romans. And I am not lying, my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit. He's saying, look, I'm testifying of what I know. Remember Paul's conversion experience on the road to Damascus, Acts chapter 9. He is knocked flat on his face by the power of the Holy Spirit. He's led into Damascus blind. And he has this incredible experience with God. He says, look, I know what I went through. There were witnesses to my conversion. And anyone you ask about my life will tell you the same thing. I used to be a persecutor of the Jews. Matter of fact, when I got saved, that's what I was on my way to do, was to go find me uh, some, some Christian people and, and, and make sure that they didn't make it. So he was a persecutor, excuse me, of, of Christians. And so now they're accusing him of being a persecutor of Jews. And the whole story of the end of the book of Acts is the Jewish people actually coming after the Apostle Paul. The Sanhedrin's after him. The high priest is after him. They actually travel from Jerusalem up to Caesarea, Maritima on the coast to, to participate in these trials that go on for almost three years. 
And so Paul's paid a heavy price for his testimony of Jesus. He's saying, look, I'm a believer in Jesus. And then he goes on to say, and this particular statement, the only other parallel that there is in the entire Bible are the words of Jesus himself about you and I. Because Jesus actually does what Paul alludes to here. He does lay down his life so that we can have eternal life. Paul says it. He said, I have such great sorrow and continual grief in my heart, for I could wish that I myself were accursed from Christ. He's saying, I wish I could give up my own salvation. I wish I could forfeit my own life eternally for my brethren, my countrymen, according to the flesh. That is as strong a statement as a person can possibly make. He's saying, look, I so believe the gospel of Jesus Christ that I so badly want my brothers and sisters who are Jewish to know Messiah that if I could forfeit my own salvation to make it so, I would. Now, I don't know if you've actually even pondered what's being said there in your own life. And maybe, I, I suppose, the closest thing that we could come to thinking that way would be about our own children. I think I could probably reach that place about my wife and my two boys. Lord, if it means they are saved, send me to hell. That's what the Apostle Paul is saying about the Jewish people. He's saying, if it'll save them, you send me to damnation eternally. Now, of course, because he received a grace gift, that's not going to happen. But it shows you the, the heart of Paul. He's just presented eight chapters of divine truths that would be absolutely thrilling to we who believe. Amen? There is therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. What can separate us from the love of God? We were dead in our trespasses and sins, but he's made us alive. On the first eight chapters, if you, if you don't see who you are in Christ with the first eight chapters of Romans, there, there's something wrong with your understanding of God's grace. It's so clearly laid out that the Apostle Paul can now say, and look, I, I want to point to my, my brothers and sisters who are Jewish. To the Jews, Paul was the great betrayer. I mean, he was the Judas of, of Judaism, if you will. He's like, he, he was a Pharisee. He was a member of the Sanhedrin. He said of himself, I am a Hebrew of Hebrews, of the law spotless. And so, unfortunately, what has happened is people still look upon the Christian faith, if they happen to be Jewish, as a conspiracy. Paul was a traitor. Christianity is something that not only is not good, it's turncoat. It's like the real deal was Judaism. And here comes this false religion. So in that way, the Jewish people are guarding zealously 
the law, the patriarchs. And as Christianity began to spread, especially when it got into the Middle Ages, all the way until our time, but very specifically a period of time that you all know well, the Second World War, the Jewish people were nearly wiped from existence by supposed Christians. Adolf Hitler was a choir boy. Adolf Hitler spent time in a monastery. Matter of fact, the reason that they ultimately used the symbol for the the Nazi swastika is it was actually on the monastery he went to to study at. It was part of the crest. And so for the Jewish person to this day, they still see Christianity as something that's quite threatening. So make sure you understand that. Six million Jewish people lost their lives at the hands of so-called Christians. They're saying, well, I don't believe that. Well, let me give you the words of Adolf Hitler himself from a speech that he gave on the 12th of April, 1922, before he had risen to power. And by the way, he spoke extensively of this in Mein Kampf. Could my feelings as Christian points me to my Lord and Savior as a fighter. It points me to the man who once was in loneliness, surrounded by a few followers, and recognized these Jews for what they were, and summoned men to fight against them, who brought God's truth. He was not the greatest as a sufferer, but as a fighter. And in boundless love as a Christian and as a man, I read the passages which tell us how the Lord at once rose up in his might and seeds the scourge to drive out from the temple the brood of vipers and the adders. How terrific was his fight for the world against the Jewish poison. You see, to the Jewish people, Adolf Hitler represented some aberrant part of Christianity. So you can kind of understand why the Jewish people might have a little tough time hearing about the good news of the gospel when so much of the persecution that they've endured and suffered has been at the hands of supposed Christians. And again, I'm using that word carefully and calculatedly because Adolf Hitler was the spawn of Satan. Let me make that perfectly clear. There was nothing Christian about anything he thought or did. But to the world, just like you here today. Oh, Christians are like this, or Christians are like that, or Christians do this, or Christians do that. You see, we get blamed for a lot of things that aren't found in the Bible. And that's because Christians don't know their Bible. And so they wander around with a false view of a whole lot of things. That's why we're here tonight. To study the word. Paul had a clear conscience, however. Christ was his very life. He actually says that, doesn't he? He said, Christ is my life. You see, Paul knew Jesus. But he also knew that by neglecting their fellowship with God. Because remember, the Jewish people 
You have to understand this. You have to see it. The Jewish people are the only people ever in the course of human history who actually got to dwell in the presence of the Spirit of God, the Shekinah glory of God, the very presence of God. They are special people. Nobody had that but them. And Paul knew it. He's saying, brothers and sisters, I know who we are. You see, when you, when you dwell there in the presence, when you abide in the vine, then you, you have truth at the ready. But even we as believers, and I want to make this really clear to us, we as believers can begin to have a seared conscience as well. When we depart from the truth, when we walk away from the word of God, when we start living our lives in disobedience, when we start rebelling, does not your conscience become seared? So it should not surprise you after two and a half thousand years that are recorded in scripture of disobedience, that the Jewish people might have a tough time hearing the voice of God. Because they rejected Messiah. In in the 400 years prior to the the intertestamental time from the end of the book of Malachi, there's another 400 plus years. So from the the last prophet to today is the better part of 2,500 years. And during that 2,500 years, there's been no temple on the Temple Mount for the most part. It was there initially, destroyed in AD 70. So for 2,000 of those years, no temple, no high priest, no sacrifice. People began to rationalize everything. What happens to us when we stop going to church, when we stop reading the word, when we stop praying, when we stop hanging around with Christians? What happens to us as believers? Pretty soon we turn carnal, right? Our conscience gets seared. Things don't even bother us anymore. Same thing has happened to the Jewish people. They went from having the Shekinah glory of God between the two cherubim, a pillar of fire and a cloud, to we don't even control our own capital city. Paul had a clear conscience of why he believed what he believed. But anyone's conscience can become seared. 1 Timothy basically says to the pure, all things are pure. But to the unpure person, they don't have anything to go by. That's why when you talk to people who are deeply steeped in sin, who don't know the Lord, very often they'll say, I didn't even know it was wrong. I had no idea. I talk to people all the time. You you, you mean I, I can't smoke and drink and cuss and sleep around? And they look at me like I have a third eye or something. It's like, oh, I thought that was normal. Because it's normal when you don't have Jesus. The world's not going to tell you any different. You can watch TV all day and it will tell you you're right. But Paul had a clear conscience because the truths that he lived by came from God's word and the power of the Holy Spirit. You see... God's view of that unbelief was a little different place. Verse 4, 
These people who are Israelites, to whom pertain the adoption of glory. Now you're going to see nine things here. Nine different attributes that are unique to the Jewish people. Reasons why we need to pray for not only the peace of Jerusalem, but for the Jewish people as a whole, because God does have a plan. And we'll get to that plan. It it will become very clear in chapter 11. All Israel one day, as a whole people, not every individual Jew, but all Israel as a whole people one day, Scripture plainly declares, will be saved. They are going to mourn them who they have pierced. They're going to look upon the king of glory and go, it was him. But until that time, who are Israelites? That's who they are. They're Israelites. Very unique, wonderful, and extremely specific DNA. If you decide that you want to, to make an aliyah to Israel, you'll have to submit a DNA sample. And if you are one quarter... Jewish DNA, which is so unique that it sticks out anywhere in the world. Less than 2% of the world's population are truly Jewish. So it says, they're Israelites. To whom pertain the adoption, the glory, the Shekinah glory of God. I don't know what that looked like. I know what scripture says about it. I know what happened to Moses when he went on the mountain and he got a glimpse of the backside of God as God passed him by. He went down the mountain and glowed for 40 days. The glory. The covenants. Abrahamic, Mosaic, and Davidic covenants. Three of them very specific and really the covenant of the law could be added to that. But it goes on to say, the giving of the law. There's only one people who got the law. If we ever are able to find that wonderful little box called the Ark of the Covenant, there's only one set of them stones and they're in it. The law. Ten Commandments. The service of God. God told the Jewish people exactly how to serve him. We were at Timnah in the wilderness in the southern Judean desert. And we go to this replica, full-size replica of the tabernacle. And I'm sitting here imagining them dragging this tabernacle, this tent of meeting, around the wilderness. And remember, that was built on the back of disobedience. Moses had been on the mountain. They said, look, he's been gone a long time. It's time to party. And so y'all bring your jewelry, throw it in the fire. We're going to make us a little golden calf. And it's Moses' brother that's in charge of all this. So we get back down the mountain. Moses comes back and they repent. And God says, here's what I want you to do. I want my spirit to go with you, but I I want you to do this very unbelievable thing. You're going to drag around this gigantic tent and this linen fence 
and this altar on which can be sacrificed these animals and burnt, and a laver for cleansing, and I want you to make a table of showbread, and every morning I want you to replicate manna, and I want you to put 12 new loaves on that table every single day. And the priest will eat of it, and I want you to offer up prayers at that incense altar, and then when you turn around, you're going to see the light of the world. You're going to see the giant menorah. But I want you to know you're separated. So I'm going to put a curtain there in the holy place so you can't get to the Holy of Holies. I'm going to be in the Holy of Holies. That's where I'll be. I'll rest between the cherubim on the top of the Ark of the Covenant. And you will see that pillar of fire come out of the top of the tent. And you'll see the cloud above it every single day. It's crazy. And God makes good on it. They're obedient. They do what God tells them to do. And every day, all 12 tribes, ordinarily, three on each side, north, south, east, and west, three three tribes, with Judah and Levi facing the door of the temple, every morning, boom, there's God. It's crazy. And they get to serve him. The promises. All the promises made to the Jewish people. The fathers. He said the patriarchs. The land that we just visited a month ago. That would be the land of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Amen? That's who it was promised to. It wasn't promised to a bunch of displaced Palestinian peoples who were largely Bedouins. It belongs to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob's tribes. Jacob being the source of the twelve. Father Abraham, his son of promise, Isaac, not the other guy, Ishmael, right? But from Jacob. Wow. Those guys. So Paul's getting down to the nitty-gritty here. And if that weren't enough, and from whom, according to the flesh, in other words, genetically, DNA, the seed of, absolutely related to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Christ came. Our Savior is Jewish. 100%, by the way, who is over all the eternally blessed God. If you ever wondered if Jesus is God, this is one of those, those statements made by the Apostle Paul, speaking of Christ who came, who is over all, showing his power, his majesty, and eternally blessed God. Not God blessed, eternally blessed, and oh, by the way, God. Amen. Nine marvelous privileges here. First, they were privileged simply to be Israelites. When you think about the Jewish people, so disproportionately blessed are the Jewish people in about every way that you can think of it, 
it's kind of, it's almost a study of, are you kidding me? Nobel laureates. Now again, they represent less than 2% of the world's population, but over 20% of the world's Nobel laureates. Advancements in science, technology, things that you might know about, artificial heart, cell phone, microchip, those are all Jewish innovations. One crazy guy with really wild hair kind of figured out how the universe works. One Dr. Albert Einstein, Jewish. You think about the world that we live in, and they are blessed to be part of this very unique heritage that has been such an incredible blessing to the entire world. Mind-boggling. Countless areas of expertise. Education, arts, music. Think of the Leonard Bernsteins of the world. It's incredible. And yet, how many times was that same group of people taken into captivity and nearly wiped out? Babylonians, the Medes, the Persians, the Assyrians, wars with the Canaanites. And yet somehow, to this day, surviving. You know, Apple only has one R&D facility outside of the United States. You want to take a guess where it is? It's in Israel. Matter of fact, the next generation of your cell phone, so if you want to go get one ahead of time, fly to Tel Aviv. The second thing, the Israelites are, are the one to whom the adoption belongs. Now, we think of adoption in the sense of salvation. And while that is a part of our salvation experience as well, God commanded Moses to say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my son, my firstborn, whom I have adopted. In other words, God's first family were those that he adopted from Israel. That's why salvation went to the Jew first. Through Hosea, the Lord declared, When Israel was a youth, I loved him and called him out of Egypt. I called him my son. There, there's that a, a adoptive nature of God's plan. Even the covenant at Sinai. You shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. They're in Exodus. He's saying, look, I'm bringing you in. You're being rebellious. You're doing the wrong thing. You know, the way that they got down to Egypt the first time wasn't exactly brilliant. But God each time said, these are my kids. You know, when your kids mess up, they're still your kids. Amen? God looked at the Jewish people that way. So these are my, this is my family. And they're still special to him. Very clear context of those verses says, look, salvation has always been on an individual basis, but the Jewish people have a very unique standing before God. Out of all the nations of the earth, 
No one has ever experienced what they've experienced. No other group. We are blessed here in America, in, in spite of what people say in the news media, that our founding fathers were largely Christians. Yes, there were some deists in there. Yes, there were a few people that you look back on what they did and you could say they were lousy Christians. But nonetheless, the author of our Constitution, James Madison, said that in fact the Constitution itself was wholly unsuited for any other type of people than those who believe in God. So we're blessed as a Christian nation. But God didn't give us a specific land. He didn't say, I'm calling you to be Americans and I'm going to give you the land that borders the Atlantic Ocean and the Pacific Ocean and and it's south of Canada. Yeah, we're blessed. We're blessed in a different way. Thirdly, God blessed the Jewish people by revealing his own presence to them. There in Exodus 16, he says, The glory of the Lord appeared to them in a cloud. The glory of the Lord. Now I can tell you, we have not had that at the White House. That's not the glory of the Lord that's coming out of that place. We may think sometimes it could be, but it's not. God appeared to them in the Sinai. His glory was present in the tent of the meeting And it says there in Exodus that there he spoke with the children of Israel. Can you imagine? I don't know what the high priest did when they they went into the holy place. First they cleansed themselves, then they went into the holy place. That's the, the first area that you come into, the tent of the meeting. It's divided into two places. And the Holy of Holies was behind this curtain. And God was back there. Can you imagine being 10 feet away from the Shekinah glory of God, speaking to God before the people, Lord, my people! And God met with them there and spoke to them? I've been to a few sermons. I've listened to some people. It's like, man, God's speaking through that person but I've never heard the audible voice of God because I went to some church. They got to go to church and actually have the presence of God and the voice of God. Wow. Pray for that. Afraid if I see him, I'm going to die. But And then they were given the covenants. First the covenant to Abraham. The spiritual father of all who believe. Read Hebrews 11. By faith, Abraham. Boom. Physical father of all the Jewish people. So every Jewish person who's alive today can trace their lineage all the way back to Abraham. Crazy. Through Moses. They're actually, God writes the Ten Commandments. Moses isn't up there with the scribe going, okay, what did God say? Write it down. God engraved those on the stones for him. He said, here, take these down. Because Moses wasn't up there with a carbide tip chisel. (laughs) 
covenant of the law, those ten simple things that to this day no human being can do faithfully. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. So those standards are still the supreme standards of human conduct. The way we both relate to God and relate to each other. God got it right. They had that. Through David, the covenant of the eternal kingdom, there would forever be a priest on the throne, and, and, or a priest in the temple, and a king on the throne of David. When our king comes back, he's going to be the lion of the tribe of, which is the kingly tribe from which David is the forebear. Guess who Jesus is related to? David. That's why those two genealogies are there in Matthew and Luke's gospel. So you can trace both sides of the genealogy. And guess who you find? You find David. A nation itself was a nation of redeemed people. The laws handed down through Moses. Israel was uniquely blessed to be entrusted with the temple service. There in Exodus 29, when when Israel was obedient and they were sincere and they worshiped the Lord, the Lord himself promised, I will meet there in the tent of the meeting with the sons of Israel. That's crazy. That's what we want to have. Amen? I I hope you're coming to church. and I I know it falls short, but our goal is to have an encounter with God when we come to church. Not with Pastor Jeff, with God. We want God to speak to us. We want him to speak into our lives. We want to praise him. We want to pray to him. It's about him. They actually had him. Now, I'm, I'm blessed to be your pastor, but I'm thinking if God was behind that wall, I'm getting off the stage. Just talk to your people, Lord. He did high priest would come in, the priests that are attending, and God would speak with them. With, with the sons of Israel. And it shall be consecrated, it says there in Exodus 29, 43 to 46, by my glory. And I will consecrate the tent of the meeting and the altar, and I'll consecrate Aaron and his sons to minister to me as priests. And I will dwell among the sons of Israel and be their God. And they shall know that I am the Lord their God whom brought them out of the land of Egypt that I might dwell with them. I don't know about you, but that's, uh, that's a small group of people that have had that happen to them. seventh thing is they were given promises in a very distinct way, a very unique way, things that were only promised to them. Matter of fact, Peter actually reminded the audience of Jerusalem in Acts 2 of that very thing, for the promise is for you and your children, all those who are far off, as many as our Lord the God, Lord God called for himself. He says these promises that were given, they're specific promises. I think he's referring ultimately to the promise of Messiah. Because that's still the goal, amen? 
the promise of Messiah. Paul reminds the readers here in this very amazing letter that Israel raised up the fathers. So when we read Hebrews 11, that's not Germanic, that's not Chinese, and I'm not picking on anybody here, I'm just using, I'm drawing attention to the fact Jewish, 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 and oh, by the way, Jewish. It's the record of the Jewish people. So do you really think God that put that much time and effort and energy into one very specific group of people is just going to go, well, you had your chance. And let me tell you basically why. Because he doesn't say that to you or me in grace. He, he doesn't say, well, Jeff, you know, man, you made it to five and you still didn't get saved. Sorry. Or maybe you made it to your teenage years and you really were going to church a lot, but you finally just said, you know what, I'm done with this Jesus thing. You see... God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He means that, including his children, Israel. His chosen people, whom he still to this day loves and still has a plan for. You see, God raised up the fathers of faith, those to whom we can turn and say, if you want to know what faith is like, Look at Rahab. Look at Abraham. By faith, Moses. We wouldn't even know what faith is without those examples, amen? Whenever somebody says, well, give me an example of faith, you know what the number one thing they tell me is? Abraham. Pretty special people. And finally, the ninth and the last thing, the lineage of Jesus. That amazing reason that Matthew gives the genealogy of the adopted father, Joseph. Because remember, he didn't have a human father. He was conceived of a virgin. Mary was with child. It was an issue. It was a problem. Look, we're betrothed. How can you have a child? I haven't known a man what Mary said. But nonetheless, Joseph, right of adoption, and so rightly could claim Jesus as his own son. So Matthew records that. Luke, of course, gives us the genealogy of his natural mother, Mary. That's why Jesus, remember what Jesus said to the Samaritan woman? Jesus said to the Samaritan woman, salvation is from the Jews. Why would Jesus say that? Well, because he was Jewish. That's why he always was found in the synagogue. We'll actually look at that a little bit next week. Where did Jesus go all the time? Where did his knucklehead parents leave him when he was 12? The temple? Where did he teach most of the time in Capernaum? The synagogue? 
What was he always being accused of? Disrespecting the law. Why? Because for the most part, they were watching him and he was keeping it. And so we went, let his disciples glean in the field. They're going, they're working. That's why when he got asked about divorce, oh no, it wasn't like that from the beginning. Moses told you that was okay. God said, I hate divorce. He was repeating the Jewish law to them. So the biggest stumbling block, and as we close, and bring the worship team back out. In closing this account of these special blessings, what was somehow missed by the Jewish people, because it was missed. Now you and I, looking with hindsight, because we've received the good news of the gospel, and we believe, we look at it and go, man, how'd you miss that? I always remind people of their own life before they met Jesus. How'd you miss that? Why did it take you so long to come to faith in Christ? Well, because I was busy being a party animal. I was busy in business. I was doing my own thing. You see, Jesus, who was the biggest blessing, also became the greatest problem. Same still true today supposed to be the biggest blessing but he's also the biggest stumbling block people don't like to hear this there's only one way they don't want to hear about that narrow road that leads unto salvation they act pretty rebellious at times just like the jewish people did even though they had the law even though they had the prophets even though they had the forefathers even though they had the covenants they had the promises they had what we would call the first version of the Bible. They had the Torah and the Tanakh. They had the first five books, the Pentateuch, and then the rest of what we call the prophets, the minor prophets, the books of wisdom, the Old Testament. They had it all. And yeah, for the most part, they have yet, as a nation, to understand that Jesus loves them. But make no mistake, that day's coming. So he's a stumbling block today. But as Zechariah 12:10 clearly says, in the last days I will pour out upon the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication and they will look on me it says whom they pierced. Yes, they will mourn for him as one who mourns for his only son and grieve for him as one who grieves for his firstborn. One day, the light's going to go on. And there are some signs of revival right now in Israel. Messianic congregations are growing. There, there is even an open talking about Jesus. Prime Minister Netanyahu, though... I can't tell you for sure he knows the Lord, but sometimes when he's talking, I'm like, whoa, that's, that's kind of about Jesus right there. One day, the whole light's going to go on. And they're going to go, it was him.
It's going to be a glorious day. In the meantime, we pray for the peace of Jerusalem. We pray for the lost everywhere in the entire world, knowing that the Jewish people have a unique place in the heart of God, and we support them fully. Amen? Would you stand? We're going to close in song. We're going to have some pastors up front. Maybe you came tonight and you don't know Jesus. Maybe, you're, you're, maybe you might even be Jewish. Perhaps you, you believed all this time that he's not the Son of God, but maybe tonight you realize he is the Son of God. And you want to know him personally. We're going to have a prayer team down here. We'd love to pray with you and invite you to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. But we also want to pray for you if you've got something that's heavy on your heart, something that's burdening your soul, and you need to leave it here instead of taking it home. Pastors will be up here for that as well. But pray. Not only God, we need to pray. I was sitting studying this afternoon and just realizing how short time could be. I mean, our king's coming. You can almost sense it in the air. It's like a, the crazy stuff going on in our world. We could, we could wake up tomorrow and, and see the face of Jesus. That's, that's the long and the short of it. So let's pray to that end. And let's bless Israel. Father, we thank you for the promises that you have made to us as your children, that you'll never leave us, you'll never forsake us, that all of your promises are yes and amen, that you will fulfill them. And Lord, we lift up the Jewish people to you. We pray that the blinders that impart, your word says, have come upon them, not in totality, in part, that we begin to soften Lord, we pray for the preaching of the gospel uh, to reach those who right now don't know what to believe in. We ask that you would work mightily in our midst. We're so grateful for the amazing grace wherein we stand. And we ask, Lord, that you'd make us instruments of that grace, your marvelous plan of salvation. Thank you for being with us tonight. Lord, that your presence is here by the Holy Spirit. We thank you for that. We bless your name. It's in the wonderful name of Yeshua HaMashiach. Jesus the Messiah, we pray. Amen.